Hello, world. Welcome to the Mile High Fi podcast, where neither of us are high. I don't think, Doug, are, are you high? Not yet. I'm high on life, but no no illegal or even legal substances. Just water today. It's the only thing I've consumed. But Yeah, it's the morning, and I was just kidding around. Yeah. Don't do drugs, kids. <laughs> don't do drugs. Just say no. I am Carl Jensen, and you are? I'm Doug Cunnington. So today, Doug, I'm kind of excited because we're going to actually talk about something that's useful. I'm not sure how much of our conversations have directly actionable information, but this one does. You can learn a lot and maybe save some money if you pay close attention to this episode. This is a first. I'm excited, too. (laughs) It is a first. We've only been at it for like 10 months, 11 months. All right. So we're talking about investment limits today, and you did a lot of research, so I'm going to I'm going to let you drive this and hit some of the core information. And I will will preface up front. We'll probably say it again. This is not investment advice. You know, consult your own professionals. This is just our form of entertainment. We'll call it that. And the other part is there's a lot of facts and figures. And there are tables which will provide links. So you can go check that out. So we're not reading a bunch of numbers from a table, which... That will definitely not be entertaining. That would be terrible. Although it might be more entertaining than some of our poorer shows. I don't know. I agree. Okay, let's talk about pre-tax investment limits first. And I should, before I get into this, we're going to talk about how some investments have changed for the new year um, and how you can maximize, may be able to maximize them. So let's talk about pre-tax investments first. And when I talk about pre-tax investments, I'm talking about something like a 401k, a 403b, and 457 plans. The first thing to note is that the limit has bumped up. It went from 19500 to 20500 So you can put another $1,000 in there, which is interesting. The next question that usually comes up with this is what should you do? Should you front load it? Should you go all in at once? Or should you do it over the course of the year? What did you do, Doug, when you contributed to a 401k? I typically invested throughout the year. Okay. So the answer to this question is, it depends on what your company does. So some companies will only contribute a certain percentage and they'll only do it as long as you're contributing. So what happens is, is if you front load it, you will not get your maximum match from your company. So if your company does that, do not front load it. Try to spread it out throughout the year. If your company does not do it, there's lots of research, and we'll put a Mad Scientist article on here that shows that if you front load it, you'll probably be better off because generally the market goes up and to the right over time. So the sooner you get your money in there, the longer your money has to work. Nice. Now we're going to move on to the IRA phase out. So what does that mean? Is that like the income limit and then you can't contribute to these anymore? Is that what that means? Yeah, that's true. And there's a phase out where if you make in a certain range, you can put less in there and then it eventually cancels out all the way at the end. For example, a traditional IRA in 2021, if you were married, it phased out at $125,000. This year, it phases out at $129,000, so you can contribute just a little bit more. That was traditional. The Roth IRA phase-outs have also gone up. It used to be $208,000 in 2021, and now it's up to $214,000 in the new year. I really like Roth IRAs for a couple different reasons. Uh, The main reason is you have paid all the tax tax up front. So any gains you get from this investment are all completely tax-free after you've done it. 
years. So do you have a Roth IRA, Doug, or have you I had do. them in the past? Okay. Yeah, I, yes, I have one. We um, don't contribute to that anymore. And, you know, one, one thing I think could be different, because you mentioned with the traditional IRA, like you can contribute up to that income limit and then it sort of like it tapers off. Is that yes. the right way to say it? For a Roth, it doesn't do that, right? Once you earn more, you can't contribute any more than that. Uh, well, both of them have limits where if you hit that limit, it completely phases out. Uh, so they both have uh, a range where it starts to phase out and you can contribute less, but then they both have a defined limit where you can't contribute anymore. Okay. Like at all, like they refund your money. Yeah, at all. Okay. Correct. Yep. Okay. Good to note. Yeah. Uh, I want to talk about pre-tax versus post-tax for a little bit, as long as we're on the subject. Uh, Post-tax is very appealing if you think tax rates are going to go up. And if you've seen the deficits in our country, I think that's a pretty strong possibility. I, I think a 401k is still really great, especially if you're a high-income earner. We'll talk about that a little bit later because you're saving yourself a huge bill of tax, but you do have to pay income tax when you withdraw that money. And if income tax rates go up, your 401k is all of a sudden a little bit less enticing. Yep. Interesting. Yeah, it's it's uh, it's something to, I guess, balance. I mean, they both have their their place, I guess, but you, you prefer the Roth because you're paying the taxes up front. We'll talk about that a little bit later, but the general gist of it is if you're making tons and tons of money and you think you might not in retirement, then a 401k might be good because you're saving a bunch right off the top. That money is coming from your highest tax bracket. Any dollar you put in there, for example, if you're in, I don't know what the tax brackets are, if you're in a 30% tax bracket, if you put $10,000 in there, that's $3,000 you're not paying in tax, which is quite significant. And as long as you're not going to be making a lot of money in retirement, you're probably not going to be at that same tax bracket when you retire. Got it. So this next section applies to you, Doug, because you don't, you've said prior that you don't do any 401ks anymore, right? You're strictly a post-tax investor. Yes. The one caveat is I do have a solo 401k. So if I do have a a year where I make a lot of money, for example, I would potentially throw some money into the solo 401k knowing that I just made a lot of money that year. Okay. Who was your solo 401k with? Vanguard. Okay. We have the exact same thing. Nice. Uh, I think one interesting and probably overlooked cool thing about the tax code is long-term capital gains. And those went up for this year too, or the limits went up. So so long-term capital gains start at over $80,000. So that means if you have post-tax investments, you're not going to have to pay taxes on probably most of that if you live frugally, right? If you can live for, and it's not if you can live for under $80,000 because those are only the gains. Some of what you sell is going to be the principal too. So you could potentially be selling a lot of investments and pay no capital gains on it, which is pretty incredible. I think long-term capital gains are often overlooked and maybe underappreciated because they're taxed at nothing if you do it right. That's pretty awesome. Yeah, 80, 83K is pretty pretty decent, especially you know if you don't have kids. Yeah, but there are a couple caveats to this. One, the tax code changes in 2025 and no one knows what it's going to be. So one thing people think is that capital gains, this might not, the 0%, 
might not last forever, especially with those rising deficits. Uh, but one other cool thing you can do with this, have you heard of tax loss harvesting, Doug? I've, I've heard of it, but I, I don't practice it. So that's if you've got a loss on a stock. If you bought the stock for 100 bucks, it goes to 90 You could sell it at a loss, and that becomes uh, savings on your taxes. There's also the opposite of that called capital gains harvesting. So let's say you don't have a lot of income, and you have a stock that's gone from 100 to $150. You, you could sell the stock as long as you stay under the capital gains and just rebuy it instantly right after that, and you've reset your cost basis. So... You're not paying capital gains on it, but you're resetting your cost basis. So you'll probably, you're setting yourself up to pay less taxes in the future. Okay. This seems like a nice little loophole. Do you, do you ever do that? Uh, we have not done it yet because we have always had good income. Very fortunate. But I would do it if we'd had zero income. For example, if Mindy didn't work and was drawing a salary, I would evaluate all my stocks and sell some of them at the end of the year and just rebuy them. Okay. Is that something you think would you would enjoy generally, or is it kind of like an admin thing? You're like, ah, I got to figure out how to do this. I, I think I actually do enjoy doing this because it's kind of fun for me to figure out how to use money in the most efficient way possible. You seem like the kind of guy that would like doing that. Yeah, I've got lots of spreadsheets <laughs> in my Google Drive, tons of them, Doug. That's amazing. Very fun. Okay. I like that. Yeah, so long-term capital gains rates are up. Uh, one thing that was talked about a lot in the FI community is the backdoor Roth. And that was going to go away with the with the Build Back Better plan, uh, but then that got punted. So we don't know if that's going to survive and come up in 2022. But for now, the backdoor Roth is still alive. Um, I can't explain it. It's difficult to explain, so I'm just going to read an excerpt and I'll put a link to the show notes. If you don't know what a backdoor Roth is, it's a Roth conversion where an employee can avoid any taxation of earnings on after-tax contributions by immediately converting voluntary after-tax contributions to Roth contributions before earnings are generated. This effectively allows the employee to generate Roth contributions in excess of the 401k contribution limits because voluntary after-tax contributions are not subject to the same contribution limits as Roth. So what this means, to back up a second, there were those phase-out periods for a Roth IRA. So if you were a married couple and earning $250,000, you cannot contribute to a Roth. So what this does is it allows very high-income earners to continue to contribute to a Roth. Uh, this situation would have never applied to me, uh, but I do know people who it applies to who are thankful that this provision of the tax code is still alive. Do you know if it's a lot of work to uh, do this? I have no idea. I've never looked into it. You know what? Back up a second. Actually, I, I asked a, a mutual friend of ours who I won't name because anyway, he does have access to this and he does do it. And he said it's pretty easy with his plan, but I think it depends on who your money is with. Like sometimes it's a simple press of a button. Other times you might have to jump through more loopholes. Gotcha. And then do you know where the name came from? It sounds a little risque. Back to Roth. I, I have no idea where that came from. And my clean and pure mind did not go to that, Doug. And uh, can you elaborate? What, what exactly were you, were you thinking there, Doug? I'd I don't know. That. Yeah, yeah, maybe that. I don't know. We'll check it out on Urban Dictionary 
see what we could find. Anyway. <laughs> so I'm curious. Let's talk about our investments for 2022. Do you sit down and have a planning meeting with a wife? Is that your thing? Do you, do you have money dates, Doug? I guess we've never talked about that. A few years ago, Elizabeth was like, we're going to have family finance meetings. And I mean, it was really, honestly, it was a, a turning point. And she, um, I mean, she wanted me to create a presentation and she had a, you know, a PowerPoint as well and like went through and, and did all the stuff. And I mean, I think I've talked about this before. I wasn't as on, I wasn't as solid financially just in general. So like those meetings were really helpful and, and look at me now, but as far as like planning specifically, like where to invest, it's, I mean, we're pretty much index funds, like fairly boring and we don't have necessarily a set amount. My income can vary um, a pretty decent amount. So we don't have a set amount and we're sort of like in a coasting situation. So we're in a holding pattern more or less and we don't let money too much cash like accumulate in a checking account or anything. So we're constantly investing and we have like a kind of a loose idea how much it might be, but it's not exact. So would it be fair to say that I probably care about this shit a lot more than you do? <laughs> Extremely safe. Yeah. That's a, that's a good bet. So have you, have you even thought about, well, I guess you already know where your money's going to go in the next year. It's just, you're going to do an index fund. Maybe it might go into the solo 401k if you have a very good year. Maybe not. If it doesn't go into the solo 401k, what do you still do a Roth? No. No Roth. Wow. Okay. And no. that's because you want access to your money before the Roth age of whatever it is, 65 or. Right. How do you guys deal with it? Yeah, do you have a meeting? A, yeah. yeah, it's widely variable. If I think if we make a lot of money, it makes sense to focus on the solo 401k because all that money takes income tax off the top, off that high tax bracket, and we'll save a lot in taxes. If we don't, though, this might be the first year in many years that we don't actually max out our 401ks. I'm not sure. Mindy has a side hustle. With real estate, and I think that might cool down. And if it does, we won't have the same income. And if that happens, yeah, we probably won't do the 401k. We probably still do the Roth. One of the things I like about the Roth, the normal Roth, not the backdoor Roth that you enjoy, Doug, is that you can actually take out the principal uh, before retirement age. I think there might be a waiting period for that, but you can access that. And everyone's situation is different. We have enough post-tax saved up. Some of these stocks that we bought and got lucky with did extremely well. So they're actually the biggest part of our portfolio. So actually the retirement stuff is a minor part. So in our specific situation, we can rely on the post-tax stuff should we have no further income and just let the retirement stuff ride. So I think I do optimize more for taxes. I know I do more of that than you do. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I was, I mean, that was one of the the questions, like how much do you try to optimize around taxes? I know some people like their goal is to like really minimize and like not pay taxes at all if possible, or it, like I said, at least minimize. So or do you aim for that sort of optimization? Yeah, that's a good question. And 
it's a complex question too, because are you aiming to pay minimal taxes in the current tax year or are you aiming, is your goal more long-term where you're looking to minimize them down the road? So there is that. I don't know. We don't put too much thought into it. I like to think about it. I actually enjoy these thoughts. I've got, like I said, I've got many, many spreadsheets in my Google Drive account, so I do keep track of it. So we grab all the low-hanging fruit, I guess. For example, we have had some investments that are syndications. Uh, syndications pay out a quarterly dividend. So I've always had those in my pre-tax account so we don't get taxed on those. I, I had another example Oh, like with VTSAX, I try to keep that in my 401k as well, or solo 401k, because that one pays a, a dividend and I don't want to pay taxes on that. We also own, in our post-tax account, we own QQQ, which is kind of an index fund. That's the top holdings in the NASDAQ. And that one pays a much lesser dividend. So I, um, I feel happier keeping that in post-tax because I'll have to pay taxes on whatever dividends that thing throws off. Okay. That makes sense. And then do you, I mean, those seem pretty reasonable, nothing crazy. Um, like, do you, I'm, I know there are some people that do like much wilder things to suppress like their taxable earnings and such. So you, you're not doing anything weird overall. <laughs> I don't think so. I'm trying to yeah. think of an example of some weird strategy would be, I know people, some people go to great lengths, but I Definitely don't want any trouble, so we don't do anything that's questionable in any way. And I, I know there's some people who are like, oh, let's make everything like related to our business so it could become a business write-off. Like, we do not do that. We probably could write a lot more off. I know some people write their home office off. We don't do that. I know there's complications to that when it goes time to sell your house. There's people who figure out what percentage of their internet and phone they can write off. And we don't bother with any of that. It's just not worth the time to save like an additional hundred or $200 on some of this stuff. Okay. Nice. Yeah. And as you alluded to, I don't, I don't try to optimize too much. I mean, there are, I have more of a sort of a home-based business than I think you, you do. Um, not necessarily, but I, I mean, I have a home business, so I have gone to those links to figure out like, okay, I'm using this much of the internet most likely. And then I use my phone and some other, you know, hardware where I literally only use like that uh, device for my business. So, so I know you've purchased some hardware and I'm not going to say what it was, but it's for your backdoor Doug OnlyFans page. Is that, that stuff is probably a write-off too, because that's part of your business, right? Backdoor Doug and yeah, yeah. All of that is is a write-off. It's a write-off. It's fun, too. What, what do they say? If you enjoy your work, you'll never work a day in your life. Yeah, that's right. That's what they say. <laughs> this, was, this was the episode that we were going to educate people. Yeah, it, it went down. I have a feeling this will probably happen frequently. There was still some education part. Max out your stuff. N know your limits. Yeah, that's right. Um, and I I see we have another area on here, which I don't know if we want to get into, the high income versus low income and tax rate. Is it just? Yeah, I, I think we talked about that a little bit. And this stuff is hard to pin down because future tax rates are a moving target. 
But if you think tax rates are going to go up, maybe it's a good idea to pay your taxes now up front. So focus on a Roth IRA or a lot of companies now offer a Roth 401k. The other thing is I heard a really interesting point. I think it was from our friend Joe on the Stacking Benjamins uh, podcast. He said there's way, way, way more money in 401ks. I think there's like $20 trillion in 401ks compared to Roth IRAs. There's like a $1 trillion in Roth IRAs. So uh, there's two points to this. The government can't do much for a Roth IRA. It's already been taxed. If they threatened to tax that, there'd be lots of angry people and that wouldn't go over well. But it's also not good for the government to try to tax that. They should, if they had to choose, they would go for the one that has 20 times more money, and that's the 401k. And they might not touch that directly, but if income taxes go up, what we talked about before, when you go to take money out of that, it is taxed as ordinary income since you haven't paid the taxes on it yet. So the low-hanging fruit, I think, for... For deficits and tax rates going up are are the tax rates. So if you think that's going to happen, and I kind of do think it will, we have to pay these bills at some point. Um, maybe focus on your Roth and not so much your 401k. Got it. Yeah, and I didn't realize it was that big of a discrepancy between the two. Yeah, it's huge. I'll find the actual numbers and put a link to that in the show notes. But it is massive and uh, and kind of scary if they want to get money from somewhere that is somewhere to easily get it from. Wow. All right. Well, any other any other thoughts on this, Carl? I think that's it, Doug. I liked your money date idea, and I think that's something everyone should do. Make sure you're on the same page and make sure you're optimizing the money part of your life, which will let you optimize everything else. Yeah. And we actually, we have uh, two per year. We do like a checkpoint in the middle of the year and then one at the end of the year. So it's been, it's been fun, you know, since I think 2014, we were sort of tracking not our pure net worth. Like we don't throw in the house, even though there is value here. Um, We just track our like cash accounts basically. So whether retirement or taxable or our checking accounts, like just sort of mostly liquid assets. So, okay. yeah. Yeah. Uh, one follow-up question, one final question. Do you track your spending as well? No. Okay. My wife does a little bit closer and you were probably asking like as a unit. So she's, she's right above us. She, she tracks, she tracks everything, you know, but yeah, me, not so much. And, and kind of what happened is we, we watched our, spending for a while and had a pretty good idea and we've optimized over time. So if, um, if I see a really nice steak that I want to get, I'll, I'll go ahead and buy it, even though it may be, you know, a little more expensive that week or that month or whatever. So, okay. If you, on a side note, if you saw something really nice that you think I would enjoy, like a new Tesla, I, I think that'd be okay for you to buy too. I'd give you permission and I wouldn't judge you for, for doing that. That can't go under the radar. There's some things I can, you know, get, but uh, unless they sell it at Sam's. If they have it at Sam's, I could pretty much buy whatever, and it's like, oh, it was at Sam's. So, wait, if Sam's Club sells Teslas, or if you could, what about like a buyer's program like Costco has, where you can buy a car kind of through Costco? If Sam's Club had a buyer program, you would... You that would, might work. Really? Okay. That could work. I'm going to write a note to Sam Walton as soon as I get home. I got bad news for you about Sam, by the way. So, okay. 
this is a great episode. Thanks for putting this together. Again, we have uh, show notes so that you can have a look at uh, the charts and all the numbers and consult your tax professional, of course. Anything else, Carl? Nope. Thank you, Backdoor Doug. <laughs> all right. That, that name's not going to stick. Just we'll go ahead and say that. It's already stuck. <laughs> <laughs>